I gave you my heart and the very next day you broke into my house and you killed all my friends then fell in between the walls. Well, it's Christmas everybody and welcome back to another episode of They Made Another One where each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up all on its own. And I thought, and what better way to start the first of our Christmas episodes than with a classic Christmas carol that everyone loves. Last Christmas by Wham, remixed by yours truly, Corey. Who are you? Uh, and uh, and Liam. I had no part in the remix, but I don't. You know, I don't he's just being humble. Credit. I'm here though. I'm on the podcast. And uh, in case you didn't figure that out, uh, because you were too distracted by how uh, angelic my voice is, this week we are talking about Black Christmas, not to be confused with Black Christmas or the upcoming film Black Christmas. Black Christmas is a film from 2006, directed and written by Glenn Morgan, and it stars Katie Cassidy, Michelle Trachtenberg, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Kristen Cloak, Lacey Chabert, Andrea Martin, Crystal Lowe, and Oliver Hudson. That's basically everyone. There you go. And um, <laughs> That's it. Yeah. That's it. And before we get into this, I want to ask Liam real quick, you know, we're getting into the Christmas spirit, the Christmas season. What are your thoughts on the Christmas season? Are you starting to feel festive? You know, you got some snow on the ground, the breaths in the air, the how the horror movies have become colder. <laughs> clearly, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's part of the reason I love it. I love the Christmas and cold horror movies. But yeah, I love holidays. I've always loved the holidays. Um, the beginning of October until the end of December is my favorite time of year because you get. Sp- spooky stuff and then november is kind of a limbo it's a bit of a bummer especially because we're in canada we don't even get thanksgiving in the middle of it but then we get to december and i love it so much i'm looking forward to the snow falling because we haven't got it just yet but uh you know i have an advent calendar for the first time ever this year i've already oh did you convert yeah yeah my girlfriend uh her family uses an advent calendar every year so her family uh got me one of them and i got taught how to open it today and, that's so um, that's honestly so magical like picturing that is like oh boy that's making my heart swell <laughs> yeah it was cool i wasn't sure if i should rip the doors all the way off and i also didn't know that it only went until christmas eve and on christmas eve there's apparently a big chocolate in it so i'm looking forward to that um yeah, and That's I did so some cute. baking. I love baking throughout the month of December. I love the structure that holidays give me because it just, it gives me like a theme of which I should live my life under for a month at a time. Like I know that I should be doing certain activities or watching certain movies. Um, and I really like that structure. So this really is my favorite time of year. It's very nostalgic, you know, just going outside um, or eating a certain food. It makes me feel like a kid again. And I just, I really love it, you know. What about you? Um, I'm not as festive when it comes to Christmas as a lot of people, but or like the Christmas season, I guess, because obviously it's not quite Christmas. But um, I always really enjoy the energy that radiates off of other people and the excitement that other people have. And um, that's usually enough to kind of carry me through. I'm not a huge like winter outdoorsy person and I'm not a huge like holiday tradition person. So I'm just sort of like here in the shitty weather but i you know i enjoy how much other people enjoy it now i'm i can be here and enjoy the the spooky christmas movies just like everybody else what i wanted to ask before we started recording was what your thoughts on the seasonal christmas winter drink eggnog are ah okay uh i have i have a pretty well-founded answer to this actually because um I tried it for the first time in a long time, a few days ago. I drank it a lot as a kid, and I really liked the taste. I liked milk a lot as a kid, and it's sort of just a, it's a spicy kind of special milk, which was cool. And also, I like, <laughs> I like that. It, come on and get some of the spicy special milk. <laughs> <laughs> and I liked, I liked that it was around during the holiday season only because it, it's something to look forward to. And I, I love looking forward to stuff. I think that's why I love the holidays most of all. And so I liked that it came around and I would have it for a little bit and then it would go away. And at some point it might've been uh, when I got in high school or maybe after I moved out of my parents' house, I just, I stopped having it so much. I stopped being 
as into milk. And so it hasn't been part of my life for a few years. Um, and, re- and recently, my girlfriend asked me how I feel about eggnog because it's one of those you're on either side of the fence thing. And I said, I liked it a lot as a kid. I don't know how into it I'd be now. And she gave me a sip of her eggnog and it tasted like 2006. Like I felt like, I felt like, uh, no, I felt please like keep I, going. Yeah. I felt like I was like looking at the poster for this movie on the front of my, uh, movie theater and it would say now playing at the top, you know, it, it really, it just, it felt like I was a kid and, um, it's not something that I get excited by because I get to slam it back a bunch. You know, I'm not excited. Well, you don't want to slam have, back some of that spicy I milk. I don't want to slam back spicy milk, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I like, I like that it's around and, you know, I'll sip it to be festive. I'm sure a few times before December is up. Um, what about you? How do you feel about the spicy milk? I've never had it. Damn, Corey. <laughs> I know. Um, I feel like pretty recently, like back in September, I was hearing some people complain that eggnog wasn't available all year round. And um, I feel like it's got to be available somewhere. But um, despite how ubiquitous the spicy milk may or may not be, um, I've, yeah, I've never had it. I'm a, Is that just because you, you don't think you would like it? Are you a picky eater? Yeah, it's because I'm a big baby when it comes to food mostly. So there's a lot mm. of stuff I haven't tried simply because I think I won't like it. Um, I also don't know if I've ever been offered eggnog, and it's definitely not something <laughs> I would seek out seeing as it's called eggnog. But um, maybe they should try a rebrand. Like, I would see spicy milk, and I'd think, wow, that's like if you put milk in the opposite of milk together. I gotta try this. Yeah, yeah, because you are a milk guy. I've seen you drink some milks before. You certainly have. There is some lost tapes that exist, folks, of me drinking a not insignificant amount of milk with great yeah. speed. And um, shout out to the select few folks who ever got to see that because no one else will. And No, um, no, no. Well, no, we'll listen here. Okay. We've been doing this podcast for a little while and we have listeners. We know we do. We love all of you guys. It's so cool you're listening. And uh, shout outs for you, Jody. <laughs> And every, yeah, you, Jody, we love you, man. And every week we say our email and we say, reach us with any, what is it, Corey? Questions, suggestions, or your favorite, blah, blah, blah. I'll take the reins this week. I think email us with any comments, questions, or if you want to see Corey drinking the milk, because I have the video of Corey drinking the milk. Oh, shit. I didn't know you had it. (laughs) And if one of you emails it to me, I'll put it out there. You know, I'll either direct message it to you. Maybe we can put it out on Twitter and you can be the one that unlocks this Pandora's box. It's just going to take one of you and the milk video will become public. How about yeah, that? that's fine. You know, the stakes are pretty low. It's just milk. Like, I didn't really do it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. So again, that email is tmaopodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up. You know, you know where we are. And uh, I think with all of our spicy milk discussion out of our way, let's move on to some spicy films and talk about the Black Christmas franchise. A couple weeks ago, during an episode that I don't remember, Liam and I talked a bit about Black Christmas, I think near the end of an episode, because we had went to go see it in a theater where we are, and um, it was my first time seeing it, and it was spectacularly good, and it got us on a bit of a Black Christmas kick, and we knew that another film was coming out this year so now is as good a time as any and if liam if you could just talk a little bit about how you feel about that 1974 original film oh man i love that movie it um it's up there with not only what i believe to be the scariest horror movies of all time but uh the the horror movies i love the most you know it's probably a top five horror movie um i think it is genuinely unnerving in a way that, um, because I've said before that a horror movie doesn't need to scare me. So it scaring me isn't the reason I love it so much. I think it's because this this way it's scaring me makes me think so much. Those phone calls are so sincerely terrifying and so indicative of someone with a really mentally ill mind. And it just it just gets me thinking. 
Um, and so I, I, I love it for that reason. And then I just think it's a great movie to live in. The Christmas setting is sort of just a tasteful backdrop. It takes, it's, um, it's much more of a, uh, novelty or a gimmick that's really ringed out in this 2006 one but in that in that 1974 film it's um it's kind of just a setting that exists in order to uh in order to give us a snowstorm and and put these characters in a sorority house and lock them up there and And so make the audience comfortable and then subvert that comfort because it's like a nightmare (laughs) like yeah, yeah, really good point. Um, and so I just, I think it's um, one of the scariest horror films out there, especially in the way it deals with the villain. You know, when slasher movies really blew up about half a decade later, it followed It followed uh, in the footsteps of Black Christmas in a lot of ways, but also Black Christmas is really unique in a lot of ways in how it deals with the villain and... Um, how the, the characters are being picked off. And so I just love it. It's it's a real warm blanket movie. I don't think it's a very fun horror movie. I love a lot no. of horror movies because they're fun, but this one isn't very fun, but it's just, uh, I think it's a really, really powerful film and I, I love it to death. Yeah, I agree with pretty much everything you just said. It It's really like an all-time great film, not even necessarily a horror film. Like it's just so good at what it does and you get such a good sense of the characters and who they are and what they're going through and how those pieces fit together. And that feels especially refreshing knowing that it's 1974. So you'd expect it to feel a lot more dated than I think it feels being 45 years old. And to your point too, there's a lot of things that it does with the slasher aspect of it that um is still unique even all that time later. So I'm a super huge proponent Everybody should go see that movie. That's why we're doing our two-week mini Black Christmas extravaganza with this film and also the 2019 version directed by Sophia Takal because I think it's a really good opportunity to both revisit a movie that we both love a lot and also get a chance to try to fit in alternate takes on that story with the original one in our minds, especially because I think that as time goes on, Uh, There's a lot of different layers you can bring to the concept of both the slasher in general and also the like, there's just a lot you can do with it. I guess I'll save some of it for us actually talking about the movies, but um, you know, I'm really excited to talk about both of those and see how these newer adaptations compare and also how the 2006 one and the 2019 one are going to feel next to each other with all that setup out of the way. We may as well just get in here. Liam, what did you think about Glenn Morgan's Black Christmas 2006, a.k.a. Black Xmas, according to the poster? Well, let me say, this wasn't my first time seeing this movie. Mm. I watched it I watched it for the first time almost a year ago, exactly. It was Christmas Vacation from my last year of university, so it probably would have been December 22nd, 23rd or so. And that would have been the first Christmas I... Um, would spend having seen the original Black Christmas because I watched it that summer for whatever reason. And so I thought I should check out this movie that I've known about since it came out. I can remember the trailers for this movie playing on TV. Oh, and I can wow. remember And I can remember seeing the poster advertised on the internet. And I just, it really compelled me. These images of um, really bright Christmas light, like over someone's face in a horrifying way. What you just said about the original Black Christmas uh, getting you comfortable and then turning that on its head by setting something at Christmas. I remember feeling that as a kid with this remake. It was my first exposure to the fact that Christmas movies uh, don't have to be happy and that you can play around with things in that way. And so the movie has stuck in my brain for a long time, but I never actually got to it until this last December. And I watched it and I liked it just fine. I thought it was uh, fairly forgettable, but I thought it was pleasant and I wasn't upset that it wasn't the original Black Christmas because I think that movie is... Um, like like you said, just such a great movie, regardless of 
conventions or genre or anything like that. So when something is that good, I can set it aside. And if I'm going to see another horror movie that's under the same title, I'm not looking for the same thing again, sort of like I talked about uh, last week with The Thing. And so I, I liked it, but I didn't remember a whole lot about it. Um, I can remember some scenes that really stuck out, but I didn't really remember how I felt about it all that well. And so <clears throat> I was excited this time to go back and see it so recently after seeing Black Christmas, the original, and also to see it after having these discussions we've been having on this podcast for the past six months, seven months or so, and um, knowing a bit more about how I feel about remakes and sequels and what I'm looking for out of them. And I was just excited to kick off the Christmas season. This was, this was my first uh, Christmas holiday movie since December has started. My roommate had made Christmas cookies the night prior, a big, big batch of them. We have a whole dinner table of various Christmas goodies right now. Save me some. Um, yeah, absolutely. There's, <laughs> there's enough of them, man. They'll last all month long. And so... I had some friends over, we ordered a huge pizza, and we watched this movie, and, you know, I've got to say that that setting might have swerved me a bit, but I thought this was so much fun, and in the last 24 hours, it's only, like, uh increased in my memory of enjoyment like i kind of i just wish i were watching it again and i didn't feel that necessarily at the time i was having a good time watching it but the the sort of uh negatives of the movie were sticking out to me more there's a lot of things in regards to the actual filmmaking here that i think doesn't convey uh doesn't convey the movie properly whereas the original black christmas is like so expertly crafted what I don't if think every single shot was on an angle <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so this movie isn't that way it's not so expertly crafted um and so that stuff stuck out to me at the time maybe just because i had a bit of a critical hat on um but in the, in the last day since I saw the movie, I'm just thinking over the crazy stuff we saw, you know, all these deaths and the places the story goes, and it's kind of just making me smile. And also, the biggest thing um, that I'm going to remember about this movie from this time around is that I think this is the definitive Christmas horror movie and the definitive Black Christmas movie to watch on Christmas um, I haven't seen a new one yet. That one might supersede it. I don't know what they're going to do with the Christmas setting. But like I said, the original Black Christmas is so, so strong as a movie that I think it works really no matter what time you watch it. Whereas this movie leans so heavily into the the uh, Christmas sequences and, and the stuff that it can get out of its Christmas premise. Like everything you could ever imagine in a Christmas horror movie is kind of here, you know? You have Christmas tree deaths, you have Christmas cookies made out of flesh, you have Icicle bloody eggnog, death. icicle deaths. Horny Santa you know? Claus. Horny Santa Claus, Secret Santa, lots of red. The The palette here is so, so very Christmassy with yeah. reds and greens and blues, whereas the original one is a bit more gray and subdued and sort of traditional. You got drinking, so I, you got arguing with family members. Yeah. <laughs> Everything Christmas so, has to offer, baby. So I just, I really love that this is showing uh, Christmas from a different, sort of a different lens, a different perspective. And I ended up really digging this movie and what it stands for. Um, and I would watch this at Christmas time. Um, just as quickly as I would watch the original Black Christmas, despite liking this one less when it comes down to it, you know, I just I think this is uh, a perfectly fun film, and I I love that we that we have it actually. Yeah, I think I think it's important to know a movie's strengths, right? So if you know that like this is a nice, quick, fun time, then like yeah, you're more likely to watch it on a more regular basis than the original, which I think also is a better movie in a lot in most ways but is also a much more difficult watch because it is a better movie you know what i mean mm -hmm. um i couldn't help but feel like some of how you were describing your enthusiasm for this movie was almost as if you were trying to couch it a little bit because you were prepared for me to say the opposite thing 
because obviously we've had a couple weeks here. The thing being an, a pretty good and obviously most recent example where um, I just kind of come in and say, oh, it's fine. It's whatever. Blah, blah. And then like don't have a fun time with something, whereas you have more of a fun time with it. And then I'm a bit of a curmudgeon. And it's almost felt like you were preparing yourself as you told me why you liked it for me to do that. And I'm here to happily report. Am I wrong? Like it's it's kind of felt that way. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm not going to say you're wrong because uh, that's what you locked into, and so I believe that that was there. I wasn't meaning to that, and I honestly, <laughs> haven't, and I haven't, I haven't thought to myself, "Oh, Corey isn't going to like this movie at all." But you know, maybe I've been hurt so many times in the past <laughs> that it's coming through subconsciously. But no, no, I, I, I could totally see you digging this movie. Well, I have good news and I have better news. Yeah. The good news is I'm not about to disagree with you. The better news okay. is I fucking loved this movie. <laughs> Woo! Everybody, get out your fucking party poppers because we're going to have a grand old time. That was a bad pop sound. Oh, man. Um, This movie is so glad, dude. wild. <laughs> and I yep. had a lot of fun watching it. Um, Holy shit. Like, where do, where do you even start? Um, Oh, boy. There's a... Uh, yeah, man, I don't know. I think you've said a lot of what I already really liked about it. Uh, one thing that we haven't really mentioned yet is that this movie has a breakneck pace. It's like 75 minutes before the credits roll. Oh, dude. And it and you goes can tell... through so much in that time. Yeah, yeah, there's so much here. And you can tell right from the beginning what we're into. The way that title card slaps onto the screen yeah. in like a second after someone dies. It's just, it feels like a uh, like a grade seven like drama class edit. And, it's well, cause, just... and especially because the font it looks like someone drew it on a fucking chalkboard. And yeah, it's just like, it gives me so much it's joy. Black Christmas. <laughs> like... Um, yeah. Okay, okay. Before we get carried away, because we already kind of are, and I'm okay with that. So to set the scene for anybody who somehow made it this far into our second discussion of Black Christmas and didn't know what Black Christmas was, there is a sorority house, and it's Christmas, and there's um, students in the sorority house, and there is a man who enters the house, and some killing happens because it's a horror movie, and they have to figure out how to put a stop to that nonsense. There you go. Yeah, that's that's it. That's yeah. it. It's it's very simple. And from the second this movie starts, it's setting itself apart from the original. And I think two very important ways that crank up the fun dial while cranking down the good filmmaking dial, if you know what I mean. Um, because those two things are... Well, not good filmmaking dial. That's unfair. But I think some of the decisions that it makes leans into what you were mentioning earlier about it just being not as well made a film. The first is that this movie has absolutely no time to waste and it will not waste it. It moves so fast. The first death happens after a quick montage of a bunch of sharp stuff and some rustling in a closet. And then we get plastic bag on head, stabbing, title card, cut to like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's so it's, quick. And then it, the, the next thing that it does is a uh, cuts to, a sanitarium, which is new territory for Black Christmas. Uh, the previous film did not include a sanitarium. And in that sanitarium, there is a very unhappy worker who is giving people meals and he's not psyched about it. And there's a guy dressed up as Santa who's trying to fuck um, a nurse, I guess it would seem. And uh, there is a bored security guard and they are guarding um, the cell of a man named Billy. And Billy is a guy who had a very difficult life and he lived in this house when he was a kid and he had a very shitty, terrible mother who um, did a lot of bad stuff to him, including but not limited to murdering his dad because they were fighting about Christmas and also the fact that she was cheating and also uh, has sex with him at one point after locking him in an attic. There you go. Yep. And then that results in a child and she loves that child more than him. And then she, he tries to kill that child. And then when that doesn't work, he just kidnaps that child, whose name is Agnes, and kills his mom with, <laughs> with, <laughs> with Christmas lights and a rolling pin. Oh, dude, I forgot it was the rolling pin. That might be my favorite it's, Christmas theme death. It's in this the movie. funniest shot in the movie because he's just standing and he's like, 
any violence is blocked by a counter and there's this an overhead shot of like a rolling pin with flour on it and he just picks it up and just like whack 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 yeah. puts it back there's a bunch of blood on it he then grabs cookie cutters and makes cookies out of her body and then the cops show up and he's just eating them so if that didn't make it clear this movie's tone and the tone of the original movie could not be further apart in my opinion yeah and so this movie spends a lot more time setting up that billy and agnes backstory and we see a lot of it in flashback um a lot of that kid having a terrible childhood a lot of so the um billy character is uh, afflicted with jaundice and after after the baby is born there's an effect on the baby for some reason that's very bad to make the baby look as though it's got like yellow pigment in its skin so these flashbacks are really going for 110 percent pretty much right away and um we spend a lot of time with those characters instead of the girls in the house i think that's because they didn't really have any new ideas for what to do inside the house and i think that's fine because their execution of it is still a good time we got another shitty boyfriend this one doesn't destroy any pianos but he does upload homemade sex tapes to the internet no he he explicitly says quote i did not put this on the net so i did not his girlfriend kelly finds a computer playing a tape a sex tape of her boyfriend kyle and one of her housemates is it claire or is it megan uh megan megan and um they're doing the thing and uh she's upset about that that boyfriend also makes a reference to punked if you really wanted this movie to feel like it was made in 2006 um but i think one thing that i kind of want to start with and one thing that this movie does really well is that the dynamic between all the girls in the house is really fun and feels pretty authentic i think having never been a girl in a sorority house it at least feels like how actual friends who spend a lot of time with each other would behave yeah no totally um and i really love that all these actresses feel like they could be final girls to me i don't quite know how they pulled it off maybe it's just because i recognize a lot of them yeah um, the cast of have, this movie is stacked <laughs> yeah yeah we have the girl from mean girls um we have mary elizabeth wenstead who at the time had been in or was going to be in Final Destination 3, so yeah. she had led a horror movie. And then we have um, the little sister from Buffy, which is Michelle Trashtenberg. Yeah. And she was also in a movie called Euro Trip. She was a lead in that movie. Um, and then we have the blonde girl. What's her name, Corey? Sorry. Uh, Katie Cassidy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have Katie Cassidy, and she kind of feels the most like a lead because um, they spend a lot of time with her, and they kind of go back to her when something heavy happens to see how she responds to it. But then she's surrounded by all these actresses that get really good lines yeah. and that we oh, that we sort of recognize. And so I couldn't be quite sure who was going to make it to the end. A but even, it also even the housekeeper, like Andrea Martin, is a from the original, but also like a super great actress in her own right and then uh i also want to shout out crystal Lowe, who is playing lauren who yeah. does a great like somewhat alcoholic asshole friend yeah yeah she was a lot of fun and so i think the performances really help the casting really helps um though i did have a bit of trouble figuring out who was who as the movie went on they don't and say the names of the characters manic yeah, yeah. So I I knew the characters when I saw them, but I didn't quite know who people were by name. And I think that just comes down to like the writing of the characters. So much time is spent on Billy and his backstory that even though I'm enjoying whenever these sorority girls are on screen, um, I, I think the writing just didn't do enough there to make me... Uh, really have a good hold on who is who in terms of name and and also just where okay. they're coming from i think this will be a fun quick game for us to do so i'm gonna give okay. you i'm gonna give you two of the actresses all right because they're, they're the two that were the most recognizable for me so we're, i'm gonna give you mary elizabeth winstead and i'm gonna give you michelle trashtenberg 
<laughs> what was the name of Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character? Um. Okay, I'll do process of elimination. She wasn't Megan. That's right. And she wasn't Claire. Right. Uh, so she's got to be... Um, I had to look it up. I didn't know what it was. I don't dude, remember it being yeah. said in the movie once. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't... I can't... I don't know. Holly, Sarah, Close. Emily. Close. Heather. Oh, Heather. Yes, they did say that. They did. I can remember hearing that and thinking... Of course, there's someone named Heather in this movie. That's very and of course she's like the, good, the goody two shoes one. Yeah, and then, yeah, it is Heather. Yeah, what is that? What is Michelle Trachtenberg's name? I had to look this one up too. <laughs> so she's not Claire or Megan. She's not Claire, Megan, Dana, Lauren, Lee, Kelly. None of those people. Are those all characters in the movie? Yes. <laughs> Holy moly! Uh, Lee is Claire's sister. Uh. Right. Dana yes. is the one who goes outside to check the power outage, I believe. Yeah, man, there's all kinds of characters in this movie. So what was Michelle Trashkenberg's name? Melissa. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that one. Yeah, man. okay. So this movie does a bad job of establishing the names of its characters, but I do think you get a really good sense of the group dynamic. The movie starts with a secret Santa. Um yeah, which that is was a lot hilarious. of a secret Santa that nobody wants to participate in. <laughs> and yeah. um you get a sense of like how the girls interact with one another, who wants to be there and who doesn't, and um, how they all feel about knowing that they live in this like infamous house. Because that's something that Heather was like really not down with. The Secret Santa has a game where they leave a gift for Billy if you pull that name. And she was like, fuck this. This isn't what Christmas is about. And then Lauren just goes off and gives a very Blair Witch 2 style speech about paganism. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and uh how nothing about christmas um is really all that strictly religious at least not like christian religious which i thought was fun and it's nice to see that the girls are able to like um like rib one another and they have like a good like humorous dynamic but you can tell that they still really care for one another like when they start getting those calls initially everybody immediately kind of like shuts up and when they realize that it's kind of serious business they sort of are there for one another and they're all worried about where claire ended up and what's happening and they have a big debate about what the best way to solve that problem is because you know they say in the movie like they're all sorority sisters and they want to stick together and not leave each other alone because uh mrs mac and heather want to leave and go get the police and the other four girls want to stay in the house in case anybody comes by or whatever and they're just trying to think about the goal is always keeping the girls together and keeping everybody as safe as possible whether that means like somebody has to go see what's wrong with the power or should we get the police or should we do strength in numbers it all kind of comes back to that and even in the beginning of the movie and throughout there's a lot of talk about like billy is trying to get a hold of people and there's a repeating line of like, oh, they're my family now. And at the beginning, Kyle tells Kelly that, oh, don't worry, I'm your family now. And the girls say like, hey, we're sisters, we're family, like this matters. So there's a really palpable undercurrent of that. And you can feel it in how they interact with one another. Yeah. Um, this movie's got uh, depth, y'all. It does. It does have depth. And some of it is is a bit um, kind of made me roll my eyes yeah. just because nowadays we're... We're in 2019. I've heard a lot of the the paganism stuff in Christmas movies where they just kind of take a jab at the holiday itself. And also like Fast and the Furious movies exist and this idea And those are all about family. It's just repeated over and over. And so it's a bit cheesy, but one, they don't spend too much time on it. It comes and it goes like everything in this movie because it's 77 minutes long. And two, this movie that's not where its heart is. That stuff is laced in it, but it's concerned with doing so many other things that it certainly doesn't make or break this movie in yeah. either way. It's nice that it's there um, yeah. because it helps give the girls depth that they wouldn't otherwise have um, other than being like, oh, this one's the goody two shoes. This one's the one that drinks. This one's the one that hates her family, like whatever. But it helps you understand that like, no, there's actually a sense of community here. Um even with Eve, you kind of get the sense where it's like there is always kind of an odd person out. 
And um, the way the movie sets that up is very 2006 and has not aged well because the whole joke seems to be that Eve got somebody a weird gift and wears glasses. That's like the whole bit. But yeah. like, even still, um, when it turns out that something bad had happened to her, like the, they're still upset. Like they still care. So you get a good undercurrent of that. It's definitely a sort of secondary note because this is very much Billy's movie. For better or worse, I kind of think worse because a lot of that is just like so over the top. Um, On the Wikipedia page, uh, it had said in the production notes that part of the idea was to flesh out that background more. So that was always the whole point was to give more to like, who is this person that's doing this? Why are they doing it? Blah, blah, blah. So that's why you get so much of the Billy and Agnes angle. But um, I think for me, that's the stuff that is the most exaggerated. And it kind of, it creates a little bit of dissonance between um, the two different sides of the movie until they come together. Because the girls in the house and the flashbacks feel so different that you don't get a total sense of cohesion in the movie until it's, firmly established it's billy and agnes in the house they're killing and now we have to deal with that problem yeah it's an interesting approach for sure it's like this movie substitutes the cop subplot the police subplot with the billy stuff and that's our way of getting out of the house because uh, i was starting to notice near the end of this movie that the police thing really helps in that original movie for giving you a chance to breathe and also racketing up the tension outside the house. And you're, you're waiting for the two uh, subplots to coalesce in that original movie. You're waiting for the cops to actually believe these women and get over to the house and, and have some sort of paths crossing here. Whereas in this movie, it's, that end point isn't as clear. You're seeing this Billy stuff, this this like urban legend tale, but you're not quite sure it, when it's going to start matching up with the, the main narrative. And so it feels a bit incongruent. Yeah. And also because it's so exaggerated, it, it's, it has a charm to it, but also it's, uh, it's just... <laughs> it's just so different than even what's happening at the house with those exaggerated deaths, you yeah, know? Like it this is stuff feel that connected. And I think yeah. it's just weird because in the original like they called the police. They go to the police. They have boyfriends that know the police like it's more intertwined in that way whereas this is leaning more into the um psycho killer kind of angle. So we do get that sanitarium stuff, um, which is funny. Like, it's very, very funny. Um, Some choice quotes from that uh, is, it tastes like chicken because it's chicken. Um, Because they're telling telling the guy dressed up like Santa about this dude. And he's bringing him, like, a meal. And the meal looks weird. And this worker just looks at him and goes, it tastes like chicken because it's chicken. (laughs) And um, like I said earlier, Santa is horny as fuck and really just trying to get in there. And um, so it feels really odd because it's like weird, like goofy horror stuff. And like, so there's this deranged killer they set it up as, but they let him have Christmas lights in his cell, I guess, because he's lit all like red and blue and green and mysterious. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's definitely some goofy stuff there. Um our horny Santa does get murdered and stuffed into a bag that his arm is sticking out of. And nobody seems to question that when he gets dumped into a dumpster outside. Um, (laughs) But I've got to say, I can, I can see why this is the approach for a black Christmas remake because, um, we've seen so many times since that original movie, people being chased around by a killer at a secluded location, you know, Friday the 13th, Halloween. We've seen it so many times. And so if you want to build off the original movie, uh, it, it, your mind sort of, yeah, your mind wanders to what's actually going on on the other side of the phone. And I think I appreciate that here because while I've said that those phone calls are so scary to me in the original um, because what of what could be happening on the other side of the phone, but because my mind like 
can't comprehend at all what's happening on the other side of the phone. I don't need to know. The mystery is so scary. But this movie works for me because it is uh, a total just re redo reinterpretation of that original premise that I don't watch the original black Christmas now. And I've done it since seeing this remake. I don't watch it and think, Oh, that's what's going on on the other side of the phone. You know, it's a totally, totally different They're story. Unrelated. So this, unrelated. So this doesn't feel like it's explaining the Billy from the other black Christmas. It just feels like it's, it's just, uh, it's just a totally different attempt, uh, a total, you know, different timeline, parallel universe sort of thing. Yeah, well, and like you're saying, this movie had come out after a lot of, like, home home invasion kind of like horror movies and, like, one location horror movies and whatever that call was coming from inside the house horror movie is. Uh, when a Stranger Calls, that was earlier the same year that this came out. So, like, the shtick that makes black christmas so effective from like a slasher perspective had been done so it may as well ramp it up in a different direction i will say too that i also think that black christmas from 74 is so much more interesting because of how it operates as a character study more than a horror movie um i think it's an effective horror movie but i'm a lot more interested in um, what the girls are going through and how they're coping with what's happening than the realities of what's happening, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciate that this decided to pivot fully into, we're just worried about what's happening. Um, and it's a bit less about how people are responding to it. Cause it's got a bit more of what I describe as like marquee deaths and it's a lot gorier. Um, oh, yeah. somebody eats like a big squishy eyeball. Like, yeah, I don't know what the fascination with eyeballs is here, both in terms of... Uh, is it because uh, he saw his mom having sex with his eyes? <laughs> well, it very well might be, because <laughs> there's two different sort of eye eyeball um, conceits going on here. One, there's the it's doll. just the... Di- there's the well there's just yeah there's just the disfigurement of eyes eyes being ripped out eyes being played with there's a lot of that and there's also just the fact that he uses his eyes a lot you get a lot of him looking through peepholes and you see his eyes like hazes and stuff and so it's like they saw the original black christmas and that iconic shot where he he looks through the hole in the door really quickly it's on screen for like a second it's like they saw that and they were like yo this billy guy he loves looking through shit. I like he the peephole stuff, stuff, but it gets eyeball. so outrageous. There's a point yeah. where... The, here's my two favorite. One, he pushes a thumbtack out of a wall. Amazing. And, which is like, first of all, that hole is not eyeball sized. <laughs> I, I know. Dude, my friends and I were watching it, and we see, we see the picture, and we're like, what is this? What is this shot? What am I looking at? And then I go, oh, the thumbtack. It's kind of moving. And we see the eye, eye thumbtack start wiggling, and my friend just immediately goes, no, no. And then the thumbtack drops, and he goes, that cannot happen. <laughs> and then the eyeball appears, and it's just... My you personal- can make a top ten list about the eyeball. You could. Uh, can I give you movie. my personal favorite? Yeah, yeah. My personal favorite is uh, the second time you see him look through the shower floor. <laughs> because yeah. the first one, they establish that the tiles are loose because Lauren kicks one up by accident. And you see his eye through that one, and that's hilarious. Because the effect is bad. For some reason, it's not literally just an eye looking through a hole, but it's uh, like an eye photoshopped into a hole. Yeah, so I've got to say... Yeah, that's the thing that I remembered most about this movie. Above all else, I can remember being in the car after seeing the Black Christmas uh, original movie with you, and I told the group of you that there's a shot in this movie of a CGI eyeball just pasted onto our ground, and that was it. Yes! (laughs) Holy shit! Yeah, but um, the funniest part of that is he apparently pushed off the tile himself from below the floor, because the thing that they establish is that from the attic... um, Billy and Agnes can just like get into the walls so they're navigating the house by like crawling between the walls and under the floor and stuff and it gets to a point where it's so outrageous that in the climax which features Kelly a recently deceased Kyle and Claire's sister Lee Agnes gets thrown okay so uh Lee falls through the ceiling and into a room and then Agnes falls in between two walls and then 
Kelly is also falling in between two walls. There is a baby carriage that has Christmas lights attached to it that is attached to a bunch of paper that's catching fire. That gets pulled down through the bottom because Agnes falls through the walls and then it falls through the walls. So the walls are now also on fire with a baby carriage in them. And while they're trying to pull at Kelly from both ends, Lee smashes through the wall with a with like an exercise weight in a laundry room. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot. Yeah, I'm surprised <laughs> you got all of that from it. I think that's the sequence where it really became apparent to me that this movie was buckling under its ambitions. It felt and like when, the movie almost stopped giving a shit. And they're just like, we're just going to go, go yeah. wild. And when I said in the introduction that there's some stuff in this movie that... Um, uh, is like is a negative in just the way it's crafted. This was the sequence I was thinking of in particular. I think the editing in this movie, um, in the action sequences, is just so... It's like they didn't have enough shots to work with, and so they, they tried their best, but it's just the geography of the of the locations aren't very clear to me, so I couldn't tell who was where and what was happening and yeah. when. There's a and cut so it, where Lee changes rooms, but you don't know that right so like yeah she falls through the roof into a bedroom and then it cuts and she's in a laundry room yeah yeah and and my friend said at that point like as far as i know she could have just teleported there yeah. you know like i i struggle with that in, in a few of the action sequences which is a shame because the ideas here are so so strong and when we do get them they stick and they're so so cool and um well and i it- think just with a a bit more fine-tuning a, a lot of it could have almost all of it could have hit far harder yeah and, and would have landed and it's better. weirdly memorable i guess it's worth mentioning i don't like that i don't like their use of jaundice as like a visual as a visual marker um because that's a an insensitive way to use like an actual illness but it's also just very striking because billy and agnes both um are played by two giant dudes um, who have this weird yellow tint and are just hulking around. That's very memorable. And the fact that they move through the walls like mole people is memorable. Yeah, so, of course, dude. Yeah. So they like, had to limber up in order to do this, dude. Like Billy and Agnes must do so much yoga in order <laughs> to fit through these walls. And, and It's cool. Like it's a weird conceit, but it's cool. And it, it helps confuse the audience a bit at first because it's like there's people getting killed inside and outside at the same time. Or like Miss um, Mac and Heather like go start the car and they had to unlock the car, but somehow one of them was in the car and then Heather gets killed in the car and like the inside of the windshield just gets yeah. like splattered with one. What the I, hell happened there? She just exploded? So I think <laughs> what happened is either Billy or Agnes was in the car and there was some gnarly blunt force trauma to the head. Oh my god. Yeah, gnarly. The thing just gets it's, absolutely it's, covered. It's like a Gallagher show. <laughs> yeah. And with these two killers, it is a bit confusing. Because um, they look you know, functionally the same. <laughs> They they look the same, and just with all the cutting from the backstory and also, like, Billy breaking out of the sanitarium and stuff, I had a friend who thought that the movie for the first half was non-chronological because we <laughs> open with the death scene, and then we're at we're seeing Billy's breakout, and so he thought we were seeing him, what would happen later in the night once he gets to the house, not realizing I there's two killers. I kind of thought that, too, actually. I didn't realize Agnes was there. Until right, yeah, and the movie later. doesn't want you. The movie doesn't want you to know that, which is cool. And so I only knew that it wasn't non-chronological because I knew there were two killers. And I think it would be fun if the movie realized, like, seemed to realize that people might think that way. And so, like, it seems like it's non-chronological, but then there's a twist that there's two killers. I don't think the movie um, delivers the twist there in 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 a way that is as memorable you know i remember that there's two killers in the movie but i don't remember that you're not supposed to know that you yeah. know what i mean well in the movie is so fast that it's blinking you miss it basically yeah like yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's important to note that like so there is a climax in the house and they seemingly succeed in like stopping the killers and uh kelly and lee both are still alive and then we go to the hospital and Kelly's in the hospital and Lee is there opening the gift from her sister that died. And it's a very sweet moment that they get like with a watch. This is family from ever and stuff. It's underscoring that theme from earlier in the movie. It really works. It's a good 
tight ending and then there's a guy in like the autopsy ward who himself is drinking some spicy milk and um he gets murdered because both of the bodies wake up and then go terrorizing through the hospital trying to kill kelly again um Mm -hmm. i found out that that ending happened because of meddling from the studio um so that's why that doesn't make any fucking sense at all um and I also read that that's why we have the two killers is because um, the studio thought that would be a fun idea to have both of them. Maybe. And so I, I think that's why it doesn't land as well, just because it wasn't the initial plan. I'm not against the two killer idea, but it does feel um, like the movie is kind of just doing it because that's what it needs to do in the same way that like Spider-Man three has a bunch of villains and, and stuff kind of gets rushed. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like that was the initial plan because the movie doesn't seem all that excited about there being two killers. It's a lot more excited yeah. by Billy. Uh, one thing I want to talk about before we uh, forget is uh, something that we mentioned a little bit earlier is that stylistically this movie is, I'm going to say odd. Um, and it's got stuff I really, really like about it and stuff that I really think is weird. Um, do you want to talk a bit about the camera work? Uh, dude, if you took a drink every time uh, my Dutch roommate angle. while watching this movie screamed out, Dutch Angle, you would be smashed. <laughs> well, okay. So, uh, yeah, this is like Battlefield Earth levels of Dutch Angles. But for a while, I was trying to see if they were using them symbolically um because i noticed that right before they get the first phone call there's a shot from the top down at the girls and i'm like oh is this to imply that like they have less power in this situation it's getting taken away from them because of this mysterious call that's very intimidating and then i realized the movie was just just going to keep doing that and i realized that no that's probably not what that was and somebody along the way decided that stylistically it just looked cool because there's a lot of shots from overhead. There's also a lot of shots from really low to the ground. And most shots, including close-ups, are on angles. Mm-hmm. It's kind of confusing because I think as a viewer, you want to try to read more into that than I think is there for a lot of them. I think that some of the angles are definitely conscious decisions and you can read into them um, a deeper meaning. Uh, but I think some of them are just kind of baffling or just because it looks cool and it makes it a bit more disorienting to watch, especially on top of when the edits get weird because the movie's moving so fast um, that it's another step that kind of disorients. I also think that a lot of the sound effects are hilarious in a bad way. We get that mm-hmm. classic door opening sound effect that's in every movie ever made uh, for starters. Yeah. yeah, but a lot of the uh, like a lot of the gore sound effects are just like hysterical. It's very like splurgy. Like it's very like like that's not a. I'm gonna. <laughs> no, no, no. I know what you mean. If it, this movie were like, it would work really well as a comic book because yeah, you'd yeah. be able to write out splurge. <laughs> yeah. Um. But the one thing that this movie has in uh in spades that I love is color. Um, yeah, dude. This yeah, movie right from the very looks beginning. awesome because of all the fucking Christmas lights everywhere. And it's just bathed in blues and reds and greens, even when it doesn't totally make sense. Like the Christmas light would have to be coming from like outside and it would be a string of lights on like a neighbor's house and it's somehow lighting like half a room. It doesn't matter because it looks great and it makes it really moody and atmospheric and adds a weird sense in the house that, um, you know, it's a specific time of year. The house isn't always like this and it's something that kind of sets you ill at ease especially with a lot of the red and the blue um i think the red obviously because you know it's red's a bad omen like you don't want to be psyched about red and i don't say this lightly but it gave me it was very it was very suspiria in a very good way and i think in an equally effective way i think suspiria's is different obviously because it's not clear where the light's coming from in that movie or why the light's colored it is because it's stylistic and atmospheric. And in this case, it's it's because it's Christmas. But I think that is a really cool, unique stylistic element for the movie. And it's smart of the movie to lean into the Christmas angle because it looks really cool. Even like um, when Billy is first born, like the whole scene is blue um, because they're right by a Christmas tree. And also to add contrast to their really bad skin yellowing effect that I, I don't know why they did. 
yeah, there's just there's tons of great color in this movie. It looks really cool. Totally, totally. Um, and I think it's just another reason this movie feels so definitively Christmas that it's a great movie to put on Christmas time because you get this stuff like the Christmas cookies and the spicy milk where it's just it's, it's things that are so distinctly Christmas, but also just the lighting, you know, the stuff that gets you from spicy milk to Christmas cookies. It, it feels Christmassy <laughs> and distinct from the very beginning. You know, there was a scene um, where my roommate said, "What is there something wrong with the TV here? What's going on? She looks all blue. Does she have jaundice too? What, what is that? And I and I was like, oh no, that's the Christmas light. You know, it was Miss Mac and she was standing near the Christmas light. Yeah. She was just bathed in an abnormal blue. There's um, so much of the light that it's like, there's no way the house has that many Christmas lights in it. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think it's just really cool that this movie sticks to what it does really, really hard with the Dutch angles and the colors, jaundice, um, the Christmas-themed deaths. It's it's not stuff that I like on every opportunity, but I always love a filmmaker really just having seeming to have a strong idea. Uh, when we talked about Cabin Fever, I said that Cabin Fever is a movie that seems like Eli Roth was working on for the first 27 years of his life before he ever made his first movie. It seems like the kind of thing where he thought he was only going to make one movie, and so he put everything he could into it. Yeah. And I don't think every filmmaker can only have one of those movies i think jordan peele just did it with get out and then with us you know it's just it's a thing where it just feels like you're seeing something that's that's someone has been super eager to try and so they're putting it in this movie and so a lot of the stuff here feels that way it's like um it's like the filmmaker uh glenn morgan was like thought like all his life yo we should have a villain with like jaundice that would be really cool that hasn't been done before it's and while it doesn't i I don't i don't feel as psyched about it as he does i i appreciate that it's in here i really do glenn morgan knew exactly what he wanted and that's what he did and that's it's nice to see that it's it's nice to feel like there is a vision at play even if it's not something i agree with all the way through um, it's still refreshing. One thing that I want to get to before we wrap on Black Christmas 2006 is uh, the script of this movie is astonishingly good. And by that, I mean, it makes me laugh a lot because there's a lot of funny jokes in it. And I wanted to take an opportunity for you and I, Liam, to just kind of point out some of our favorite funny stuff in this movie. Um, I'll start, if you don't mind. Uh, <laughs> take it away. I can't remember who was talking to who because all I wrote down was the quote, whichever of the girls hates the rest of her family. It was that one. And she was saying that one of the other sorority sisters was more of a sister to her than her actual sister. And in response, she is told Dick Cheney is a better sister to you than your actual (laughs) sister. (laughs) That's right. Which is extremely funny. And again, that that feels like something where it's like that was an inside joke yeah. with Glenn Morgan in his high school years. He was like, I have to put that in a movie. And like that feels like something somebody would say, like if especially maybe more so in 2006 than now. But like if they were just like fucking with somebody. Like, yeah, it's just a, it's just a dumb thing that people say. Like every day we say all sorts of dumb things, you know? Yeah, totally. There was also a bit, I think, from the same person who didn't like her family. When somebody makes a comment about wanting to bury the hatchet and she says that she'd love to bury the hatchet in somebody's head. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But I think I have two personal favorites. One, okay. so they start getting phone calls and they notice on the caller ID that it's the the calls are coming from the cell phones of the missing girls. And first of all, really quick, that's a really smart way to update that because caller ID is a thing and all that to make it that they're using those phones. Super scary. Super smart. But also, they get a call from Megan's cell phone, and it's one of the scary calls. And she hangs up the phone and looks to her friends and goes, That was not Megan. (laughs) 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 Which is so funny. (laughs) There's also a point where Claire's sister shows up, and um, she's like trying to figure out what's going on with her sister, and like everybody's stressed out because of all these calls and people are missing and all that. And then there's a lull, and somebody just goes, I love your jacket or I love your coat. (laughs) And um, last but not least, um, there's a point where Heather is complaining 
about um, the Secret Santa and the things that they're doing and just people are kind of getting on each other's nerves and she says that she's going to go leave. And uh, again, I don't have the specific line now because I only really got down two words of it, but I want to make sure that I mention that at some point she is basically described as being somebody um, who can't handle anything beyond something that her NASCAR daddy can handle for her. <laughs> Which is just weird. Like, it's just such a weird thing to say to somebody. And this is all on top of the pagan speech and the I did not put this on the net and the line, fuck you, Santa Claus and horny Santa. This movie's got it all. It really does. Yeah. And you talking about it right now, it's only making me want to watch it even more than I did, you know, when my mind was wandering at work today. I honestly might check this out again before December is over, get a different group of friends over, another pizza to watch it. I just, I think it's a total blast. And, wow. Look at this um, guy with all these friends. <laughs> You're welcome to come, Corey. You can watch it together. Maybe uh maybe the theater will play it sometime. Dude, you know? that would be sick, honestly. Dude, that's that's like one of the reasons I'm alive to see these movies that are from <laughs> our generation end up getting revival screenings. Like imagine seeing this, you know, 15, 20 years from now on the big screen. That would be so that would be, that would be so tight. Uh, yeah. And so um where I where I stand with this movie is that I just really appreciate when a sequel or a remake has a vision behind it. You know, like you said, it's just the filmmaker is passionate about it and has strong ideas one way or the other. And I'm always going to like that more um, just out of principle, even if I don't like what the movie is going for. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to think it's uh it's valid and it's cool that it's around. And so I really dig this movie. Um, I dig it the more time I spend with it. And I'm really, really excited for the one that's coming out uh, a week from now, because I think that this is a premise that can be mined in all sorts of ways. Um, and I think that it'll be interesting to see what people are doing with it now that we've already done the Billy origin story and we've swerved it really far in terms of just gooey slasher fun and uh, Christmas, you know? We've gone really far in that direction. We've gone really far in uh, the prototype slasher movie that also has a bit of talk of, like, pro-choice and uh, police... Um, police... Uh, like naivete in it. Um, I, I just think there's there's cool directions to go that I haven't even thought of. And so I'm so excited to see what this new one does. And I think they really have their work uh, cut out for them because the original and this one that we're talking about here tonight, I think they're, they're both bad 100 in their own way. And so it's very possible that this movie is going to swing and hit it and we're just going to have three great, very different Black Christmas movies. And that'll warm my heart if it turns out that Black Christmas, of all the horror franchises, it like turns out to be the strongest one. Like, who would have thought, you know? So I'm so excited for this one and I'm so excited that this movie exists. I, I love Black Christmas. Yeah, man, we really have an embarrassment of riches on our hands, like... Even though this is so different, um, it's so sure of itself and it knows that it's doing the weird slasher thing that it just leans into it. And even though some of it hasn't aged great, some of it doesn't look great, some of it's confusing, it knows exactly what it's trying to do and it's a really easy movie to have a lot of fun with. And like you said, it's so different from the original, but the original and this are so good at the things they're trying to do that... I too am just so excited for the potential of a new version of Black Christmas. And I'm really excited to see what this premise looks like and this cast looks like in the hands of a female filmmaker. And I'm curious to see what that looks like um, in terms of what sort of thematic statements it's going to try to make. And I think that there's a lot of really positive things that you can do with this concept now. And I'm super, super excited to see it mobilized for a 2019 audience. But at the same time, any 2019 audience could go back to the 1974 or 2006 versions and have a good time, but they'll be for different reasons. And um, I think that's a great place for us to wrap up our mini Black Christmas extravaganza part one. Um, obviously, next week we will be talking about Sophia Takal's 2019 version of Black Christmas. So check that out in theaters as soon as you can. And we will have that episode hot and ready a couple days after the movie's release. Um, thank you once again for listening to the, another episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet. 
on Twitter at they made another all one word on anchor Spotify Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts Stitcher and whatever other podcast service exists as they made another one as mentioned you can reach us via email at tmao podcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes questions comments and your insistence at seeing a video of me chugging milk liam where can people find you you guys can find my film writing alter ego graham the haunted marshmallow on twitter and letterboxd my username is graham the mallow and you can find me on twitter at mr Corey price where for the time being you will find me trying to have spicy milk catch on as a term for eggnog and uh with that Uh, We would like to say thank you once again, and you can catch us here next time for not just more Black Christmas, but more... They made another one?